0: Revolution is inevitability. There's a limit to every man's ability to take shit from elected cabinets filled with prejudice, bias, and bigotry. Viciously taxing the poor, trying to ensure big bank liquidity. Tell the bourgeois when injustice is law. The right to resist become responsibility.
1: You see it happening from
0: Kaiva to Tripoli Public and Rest anti-West. Hostility, self-immolation, pyrotechnically, ignites a nation to regain civility. Pick it up, pick it up. Is that what it takes, push a man till he breaks and take when dignity. When them lift them eyes up, people gonna rise up. But Babylon, it's a high probability. Ra, ra, everybody jump up. Ra, ra, everybody move up. Ra, ra,
1: everybody jump up. Ra, ra, everybody, up. Ra, ra, everybody, up. Ra, ra, everybody move up. Welcome, everybody, to the Housing First podcast. I'm your host, Cara Burrell, and my guest today is Jacqueline Simone, Senior Policy Analyst at the Coalition for the Homeless in New York City. The Coalition for the Homeless is the nation's oldest advocacy and direct service organization helping homeless New Yorkers. Since joining the coalition in 2014, Jacqueline has advocated for long-term solutions to mass homelessness in New York City and has helped organize several successful campaigns, such as winning historic commitments to supportive housing by the city and the state and establishing a right to counsel and housing court for low-income tenants. She graduated summa cum laude from Ithaca College with degrees in journalism and politics and recently completed a Master of Public Administration from Baruch College. Welcome to the show, Jacqueline.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: Yeah, no problem. It's a pleasure. So first things first, can you go into some detail about what the Coalition for the Homeless does and like what you guys do there?
0: Yeah, so Coalition for the Homeless was started in 1981. So we are in our 40th year um, and we operate 11 direct service programs that serve more than 3,500 New Yorkers every day and provide immediate Uh, necessities to folks who are homeless or low income, and we put them on the path to long-term stability. But I think the strength of the coalition comes from the fact that we both meet people's immediate needs through those 11 direct service programs, and then we use the lessons from serving that many New Yorkers to call for long-term, large-scale solutions to the crisis of modern mass homelessness. Awesome.
1: Awesome. Yeah, when I was homeless, I did an interview with my comedian friend Vince August, he has this show Judge Vinny and I talked about the coalition and I was like, when I was homeless I wish I knew that this place existed like you guys are great so I'm really honored to have you here. Um, so what would you say are the top few aspects of ending homelessness the coalition focuses on.
0: Yeah, so I think uh, addressing the crisis of homelessness really requires a multi-pronged solution. We fundamentally believe that the homelessness crisis is a housing crisis, right? So right. the lack of affordable housing is what is driving so many of our neighbors into shelters and on the streets. So um, fundamentally, we need to start with uh, prevention first strategy. So making sure that people have the resources that they need to keep them stably housed before they ever experience homelessness in the first place. So that comes from, you know, helping people pay off rent arrears, connecting them to housing vouchers so that they have long-term affordability, and also calling for the construction and preservation of more truly affordable housing. Um, Now, if people do become homeless and enter the shelter system, we need to make sure that those shelters are in good condition and that they are adequately meeting people's needs. Um, so Coalition for the Homeless is actually the court-appointed monitor of the single adult shelter popu- shelter system mm-hmm. and is also the city-appointed monitor of the family shelter system. So New York City has a right to shelter, and that makes us very unique nationally. That means that anyone who is homeless and needs a place to stay can have access to um, a place for for the time that they're homeless. Um, so in other places around the country, there are situations where their shelters are full and they turn people away. New York City, we have a right to shelter, which means that the city cannot legally be turning people away if they don't have anywhere else to stay. So we ensure that the city is living up to that legal obligation and is also providing shelters that are clean and safe and are meeting people's needs. Um, so that's important. and. You know, as much as we want to prevent anyone from becoming homeless in the first place, we're glad that we have that safety net to catch people if they do become homeless in New York City um, so that people aren't forced to sleep on the streets. Um, And then the third component is housing. So we need to make sure that we connect people to permanent affordable housing as quickly as possible if they do become homeless. So unfortunately, the lengths of stay in our shelter system are more than a year on average for for single adults, for families with children, and especially for adult families without minor children. So again, that safety net's really vital and we're glad that we have it in New York City, but we need to help people move out of homelessness much more quickly. And the only way to do that is through investments in truly affordable housing.
1: Right. Okay. Um, in terms of the shelters and New York has the, the right to shelter, are there enough shelters to provide for like the amount of homeless people that are in New York? Like, or are there, is there enough room for people?
0: Yeah, so the city is legally obligated to ensure that there is enough room for people. So, um, you know, I every day monitor the shelter census and the vacancy rates across the municipal shelter system and ensure that the city does have enough capacity and that if they're close to running out of beds that they're opening up new shelters and also moving people out more quickly to ensure that they they don't have to turn anyway for capacity reasons. Now, there are people who who are still unsheltered in New York City. And that is often because they um, they they might not know about the shelter system, or they might have gone into the shelters and found that it didn't meet their needs. Um, especially during the pandemic, for example, we've seen many people who are not interested in going into a large congregate. Dorm style facility in yeah. the middle of a pandemic that's airborne. Um, so uh, or people report that they don't feel safe or that um they felt like they weren't being accommodated for disabilities in the shelter system. So if those people wanted to come into the shelter system, the city would legally have to find a bed for them, right? Um, yeah. but that doesn't mean that everyone necessarily wants to. Um yeah. we also yeah. do see that. For the family shelter system, there's a very arduous eligibility process before people are found eligible for shelter. And at the coalition, um, our caseworkers are often advocating with people and helping them uh, gather all of the documentation that they need to prove their shelter eligibility. So it, you know, the, the system should not be driven by capacity, but I don't want to make it seem as if it's as easy as someone just shows up and they're they're given everything that they need in the shelter system. I think it's, it's constantly a work in progress and we're always making sure that the city is living up to the obligations that it has to provide safe and adequate shelter for all who need it.
1: Right, Yeah, that was the question that came to my mind was if New York City has this right to shelter, why do they make it so difficult? Like, what, like you said, the, you need all this paperwork, you need, that's why the coalition works to get all that paperwork. Like, I don't, that just doesn't make any sense to me why the city does that. Like, why would you have a shelter, right to shelter, but then make it hard for people to get into the shelter? You think that the city would make it easier?
0: Yeah, it's especially for families. We do see um, the eligibility rate for families who are trying to access the shelter system is very low. It's been hovering around, you know, 30 percent. And many people are only found eligible after submitting six or more applications. So obviously, wow. if someone's being found eligible on application seven, that suggests that they probably were homeless during the prior six applications. So yeah. this is something we can continue to advocate with the city on. Um, know we both work through through policy advocacy and legislative means but also through litigation and the right to shelter has been um you know challenged at various points through different administrations and we have tried to ensure that uh you know these barriers that have been erected that try to narrow the pathway into shelter are not actually um upheld so you know, the way to reduce homelessness isn't by making it harder for people to get into shelters. The way to reduce homelessness is to make sure that people have access to stable, affordable housing in the first place (laughs) and that they can move out of shelters more.
1: Right, exactly. Okay, so um, what policy, uh, what policies are you guys working on at the moment?
0: Yeah, so honestly, part of Um, the challenge of the past year is that so much of our work has been subsumed by the pandemic. So we were already facing a record homelessness crisis in New York City that predominantly affected um, low-income New Yorkers of color before the pandemic even happened. And then as with so many other issues that we've seen nationwide, uh, the onset of the pandemic really exacerbated these underlying cracks in the social safety net. So- we you know we have the right to shelter for single adults which is again important but as i mentioned many of those facilities are congregate dorm style shelters so people were sharing sleeping dining and bathing facilities and we knew very quickly that that wasn't going to be safe enough during the pandemic so we have advocated with the city to move people from those congregate shelters into hotels, which were experiencing large rates of vacancy during the pandemic anyway, um, Mm -hmm. so that people could safely socially distance and practice that basic public health guidance that we were all being told to follow. So, you know, that's been an uphill climb. We, you know, pushed the city, we worked with city council, we ended up even um, filing a lawsuit this fall, because the city, even though they did move many people to hotels, there are still people in congregate shelters, and there are still people in double occupancy hotel rooms. um, People are still testing positive and people are still dying from the virus. So Mm -hmm. uh, we've been trying to make sure that people have access to some semblance of protection from the virus. And especially for folks on the streets as well, uh, we've seen an increase in the criminalization of homelessness. The subways are shut down partially overnight. Um, We've seen you know, even access to basic necessities like bathrooms have been a challenge for that population because many businesses and so- social services closed or reduced their hours during the pandemic. So trying to make sure that people on the streets have um, access to basic necessities. You know, this this crisis really showed that housing is healthcare and that we need to do better as a city in- a country in connecting people to permanent housing so we don't have you know 60,000 people in the municipal shelter system when the next pandemic hits so we've been pushing for the state to do rental assistance programs such as home stability support or the housing access voucher program we've been pushing the city and the state to accelerate and fully fund their commitments they've made to permanent supportive housing which is housing with on-site support uh-huh. services um, sorry about that. That's I'll repeat okay. that part. Um, we've been pushing the city and the state to uh, accelerate permanent supportive housing, which is permanent housing with on-site supportive services for folks who have mental illness or substance use disorder. We've been uh, encouraging new construction of truly affordable housing, particularly with some of the market changes that have happened with the pandemic. Um, we're trying to make sure that city vouchers are effective and are actually paying realistic rents, so people can use those vouchers to move out of shelters more quickly. And you know, with the change in administration at the federal level, we are pushing for universal rental assistance. So for too long, we have rationed housing assistance and only about one of every four households that's eligible for Section 8 vouchers receive that assistance, even though we know that that is uh, a game changer, really, for people who get it in terms of allowing them to afford housing. So the Biden administration did promise um, during the campaign season that they would make Section 8 um, uh, an entitlement, and we are going to be pushing with many other advocates at the federal level to ensure that that is realized, because that would really fundamentally change the scale of homelessness and housing in the United States.
1: Okay. Hopefully the Biden Biden administration follows through on that. I mean, they've done a good job with getting the vaccines out. Um, I know they're ahead of schedule from what he said in the campaign. So fingers crossed. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Okay. So what does your job entail when it comes to being a senior policy analyst?
0: Yeah. So like I said, the coalition um, is all about taking the lessons that we learned from our direct services and from speaking with homeless New Yorkers and then turning their issues and the common problems that we're encountering into policy change. So I know that, you know, as, even though I've been working in this field for a few years and I have you know various degrees. I have not personally experienced homelessness and therefore I'm not an expert in the issue. Someone who is directly experiencing these failed systems is much more of an expert than I am. So I, you know, listen to what people who are homeless are saying and then look for legislative and uh, more systemic solutions to get at the root causes of, of their issues. So for example, you know, if people were saying that even with the housing voucher, they're unable to find permanent affordable housing, we work with uh, le- elected officials to improve vouchers and to call for more robust protections for people who have vouchers at the city, state, and federal level. So um, it's a constant collaborative process, both with my colleagues who provide direct services and with our, our client advisory group and with, um, with other advocates to ensure that we're all working together to really address the root causes of homelessness.
1: Okay. Um, in case any of my listeners want to work as a policy analyst um, at some point, what were the steps that led you to your position as a policy analyst at the coalition? Or maybe like, what are the, what are the general qualifications?
0: Yeah, I took a bit of a meandering path to this position. Okay. So I came to New York City originally to work as a journalist, and um, I was, you know, I had studied journalism and politics in undergrad and got a job out of the gate um, at a national magazine and was convinced that's what I wanted to do. And then just found myself very troubled by the visibility of homelessness and poverty in New York City, and. Mm-hmm. Doing more volunteer work and eventually uh decided to make a transition to the nonprofit sector full time. Okay. Um, and I was really drawn to policy work because I think that you know, I always want to get at the root causes of issues. So I, you know,
1: it's the only way um, to fix things, <laughs>
0: right? Because I think it's sometimes it feels like working in homeless services is like pushing a boulder up a hill, right? Like mm-hmm. you're you're helping individual people, but you wonder, am I really making progress on? And these large systemic failures and the lack of affordable housing. So um, I think communication skills are key when it comes to policy work uh, and being able to do both quantitative and qualitative analyses of of various forms of data. Um, You know, I, I recently completed my master of public administration, which many policy analysts also have. But, you know, aside from degrees and hard skills, I think that the most important thing is um, being passionate about the issue mm-hmm. and also making sure that you're constantly being connected to people with lived experience. Because like I said, those are the real experts on uh, these failed systems and they will often have much more um, creative and actionable solutions than, than any of us could think of in academia.
1: Right, right. Like someone who's lived through homelessness can uh, give you like, can provide a, so uh, an answer to something that someone that hasn't would have never even thought of because they just never lived through it like um that's what dr samson Barry said when i interviewed him uh like yeah um um and sorry i went all over the place with my questions <laughs> um i know obviously that one organization can't do it all and nothing happens overnight well m- most things don't happen overnight um and i know many other organizations across the country are working on policy change as well what other major policy changes needs to be made when it comes to homelessness besides um affordable housing being the main yeah i
0: really think we need, le- we need better leadership from the federal government um okay. you know new york city like i said we have a right oh sorry did we skip a yeah, bit. It's, Can you it's hear okay. me? I'll edit it. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> it was skipping a little bit. We need federal leadership because you know New York City has been working on homelessness, Los Angeles has been working on homelessness. You know, we have different places around the country that have been all trying out solutions, but what we really need is a cohesive um, policy vision and particularly resources from the federal government because we, while you know, specifics of land use and housing dynamics are different. From place to place, we also know that the solutions to affordable housing are common across the country. So we right. need the federal government to invest more in Section 8 vouchers. We need more uh, coordinated policy when it comes to streamlining the production of truly affordable housing. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're at an exciting moment right now where, you know, un- unfortunately, the pandemic has highlighted the very real health impacts of homelessness and the lack of affordable housing. And I'm hoping that we can use the crisis of the past year to galvanize change and actually calling for the federal government to step up with real resources that can help not just New Yorkers, but people across the country.
1: Right. Yeah. Like from the Reagan administration, like the homelessness crisis we see today started back then when... Um, he decided to just, you know, hibachi, the federal housing budgets and mental health care budgets. Like he flipped the shrimp into his hat and everything. Like he just slashed those budgets. So, um, um, and nothing has really been not nothing, but not enough has been done at the federal level. And my, from my understanding, like, I know that, um, the federal government, like HUD, they, they, um. They encouraged Housing First but and said that should be the policy or whatever, but didn't provide the funding to back it up. So how could you, like, what's the point of that, <laughs> you know? So I, I see what you're saying.
0: I think we've known for a long time what it would take to end homelessness, right? We know that Housing First works. We know yes. that giving people permanent housing with support services is much more effective than having people languish on the streets and in shelters, but we haven't had the resources to match scale of the need. And cities and states don't always have the ability to, to fully invest in those services, we really need a a more robust investment from the federal government that will be cost effective in the long run, too, because we know that right now, homelessness is very expensive, you know, there's tragedy. And there's also it doesn't make financial sense to have people cycling between uh shelters and the streets and jails and and hospitals when we know that what they really need is the stability of permanent housing
1: right like if the whole like inhumane and horrible aspects of homelessness don't affect a person well how about these statistics to my listeners right. um it costs government 30,000 to 50,000 on average per, per per homeless person it costs the government that um, just for just for one person to be homeless. And if you if we have housing first, it'll cost like 18 to 22,000 per year, instead of 30 to 50,000 per year. Um, so if that if the, you know, inhumane thing doesn't get to you, how about the money part? <laughs> right, right. And I hate
0: to frame it that way, because I do think that we should want to end homelessness because of it, the you know, the fact that our society has failed the most vulnerable among us and the fact that yeah. it's a manifestation of systemic racism and mm, we yep. need to do better, um, in helping our neighbors so that people have that basic human right of housing. But I also do think that on the other hand, it, you know, it makes financial sense to invest in solutions to homelessness as well.
1: Yes, it truly, truly does. Um, so I know you said that we haven't seen the documentary when we talked before, but so this is for my listeners. Um, so Don Sawyer, he created the documentary Under the Bridge, The cr- The Criminalization of Homelessness. He directed it, and that's on Amazon Prime, uh, YouTube, iTunes, Apple TV. It is extremely well done, and it really showcases the lack of compassion in local government, specifically for this documentary for the homeless population. And again, it's called Under the Bridge, the Criminalization of Homelessness, directed by Don Sawyer. So Don Sawyer is directing a second documentary on homelessness, essentially about how Housing First is the solution to ending this this crisis. And it's called Beyond the Bridge, A Solution to Homelessness, which I'm super excited about. And you can find more about the film at asolutiontohomelessness.com. And um My next question, you already answered Uh, with all that said, where does the coalition stand on the housing first approach? Um, You said that. Yeah,
0: (laughs) I I think, um, you know, I I actually did watch Don Sawyer's first documentary. And I think that the thing that it really highlighted was where are people supposed to go, right? We push people around too much um, from from one visible place to a less visible place. And this isn't just an issue in certain cities. It's around the country, including in New York city. We have a policing response to unsheltered homelessness. Mm -hmm. And my question is always, where are people supposed to go? Um, You know, most people don't want to be sleeping outside. They don't want to be sleeping on the subways, but they feel that that is their best option because they don't have a safe, private, affordable home of their own. So if we were to actually offer people permanent housing with support services as needed, we would we would reduce the number of people on the streets. But right now we have bureaucracies that make it incredibly difficult for people to access either temporary shelter or permanent housing. And we, we don't have enough supportive housing in New York or in most other places in the country to actually house every person who needs it, even though we know how effective it is. So right. we need to get serious about creating more permanent supportive housing and adequately funding it to make sure that people are given the supports that they need to really thrive.
1: I agree. Um, I mean, we know that Housing First works because HUD, com- in, in combination with the Veterans Administration about 10 years ago, uh, did the HUD-VASH program, which mm-hmm. was simply Housing First for homeless veterans and nationwide veteran homelessness has decreased roughly 55% overall. And in 60 cities, it has been completely eradicated. So we know housing first works, we know permanent supportive housing works. So it's just, it's about that time. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And I think that, you know, the veterans example is so telling as well, because that was a federal initiative Mm -hmm. where they provided real resources to actually move people into permanent housing. And I, you know, I know that certain populations of homeless people tend to be seen as more sympathetic. So people tend to care more about veterans or about homeless children than they might about someone who's dealing with substance use. But I think that housing is a human right and every human being deserves to have that basic dignity and stability of housing. So Absolutely. Um, I think that if we just sort of broke down some of the stigma and biases that we have against poor people and especially poor people of color, we could, we yeah. could eradicate homelessness, but we just haven't had the political will to do so.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, I I agree with that. So what is the best thing a a regular citizen can do to contribute to ending homelessness?
0: I think everyone needs to contact their elected officials regularly and make sure that they are investing in solutions to homelessness. Because I think that too often, um, you know, homeless people often feel like they don't have a voice in policy making because you know it's it's very stressful obviously and very challenging to without stable housing, you might not be able to, uh, you know, get to the polls or to engage with your elected officials as much as you want to if you don't have the technology and transportation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that we need to make it clear that homelessness doesn't just affect the people who are literally without housing, it affects all of us. Yes. And this could be a priority for every elected official in such a wealthy country as the United States to eradicate homelessness. And I think that we need to show that there's a broad constituency that cares about the housing crisis and that is calling for their tax dollars to be used for solutions that will help all people. Um, so I would say just reach out, make sure that you know who your elected officials are and get noisy and make sure that they're they're aware of the solutions to homelessness. They're not vilifying their homeless constituents and that they are, are investing in solutions.
1: Okay. Uh, I have hope with this new administration. I know like the previous administration made very large tax cuts to the ultra rich, which doesn't help the situation at all. Like We could have really used that tax money to reallocate it and help solve this crisis. But I do have hope with this new administration. So Biden and Kamala Harris, please help us out. (laughs) (laughs) And before I let you go, there are so many coalitions. You kind of mentioned this before, but there's so many coalitions to end homelessness in states across the country. What is there like anything specific that's stopping all these coalitions and organizations from combining forces and money to work towards their common goal, which is obviously ending homelessness?
0: Yeah, so I think for decades, because we've had a lack of cohesive leadership at the federal level on homelessness and housing. All of these very localized groups have sprung up to sort of fill in the gaps. And I do think that, you know, land use and housing decisions are very localized issues by nature. Um, But what we really need is more resources and funding from the federal government. And I hope that we can all come together and recognize the common issues that we've been facing, particularly during the pandemic, and call for systemic changes and more resources at the federal level. So Um, you know, if, if anything, the, the the one silver lining of the pandemic is that it's made people realize that we can be doing cross geographic, um, advocacy much more easily. So we're now, you know, participating in national calls with advocates from across the country much more regularly than we were when we all thought we had to be in, right. (laughs) So I'm hoping that, and the more we've all been talking to each other, the more we realize common issues with criminalization of homelessness with inadequate housing vouchers with, you know, the disproportionate impact of people of color, even though New York City's housing market is very different from other places, the solutions would really um, are, are common and should be coming from the federal government. So I'm hoping that, you know, the experience of the pandemic can really mobilize everyone nationwide to come together and call for investments in affordable housing that can actually reduce homelessness and hopefully end it across the United States.
1: Uh, awesome. I agree. Um, I felt really disrespectful. I said Biden and Kamala Harris, President Biden and Vice <laughs> President Harris. <laughs> I just wanna, and They're probably not going to hear this, but just in case that ever happens, I'm just going to correct myself. Okay. Jacqueline, thank you so much for taking taking the time to talk to me today. I learned a lot and um about the coalition and about policy and i think we had a great discussion so just thank you i appreciate your time
0: yeah thank you so much for having me it was a great conversation
1: all right take care have a great rest of your day Bye. bye
0: and as always a special thanks goes
1: out to the man the myth the legend ice cream an amazing music producer and more importantly an amazing human being for providing music for this podcast You can find him on social media and all music platforms at I-C-E-K-R-E-A-M. Thank you all for listening, and in the next episode, we will be talking with Matt Malika, the executive director of Echo Austin. Stay tuned!
0: We be the hunters. Them have the guns, but how we have the numbers.